Good morning, TCC. My name is Jason. This is my daughter, Alara, and our, my wife, Catherine, and our daughter, Jaina. We've been attending here for about six years. I re I'm reading today from the, the Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7, the New International Version. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I'll be reading Luke 2, verses 8 to 14 from the New International Version. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jason and Alara. And I just have to give a shout out to Jason, because I know many of us were here last week for the children's program. The, the skit we watched was written by Jason, so um, he's a very talented guy. We sell, Yeah, exactly. So thank you for that, Jason and Alara, reading scripture this morning. All right. Well, I'm a big fan of the, the Christmas season for a lot of reasons, as I'm sure many of you are. The opportunity for just a shifting of gears in various areas of our lives. And um, yesterday at the men's breakfast, I brought a big tote up on the, onto the, the platform where we were speaking and talked about how we all have these totes in our house, right? And every year at the end of November, we pull out these totes and we start pulling things out of them uh, for our Christmas celebrations for the month of December. And in my household, one of the things that comes out of those boxes is children's Christmas stories. Uh, my wife and I love these children's themed Christmas stories. Uh, we try to get one for them every year. They open it on the first Sunday of Advent. We read it through the month of December. And one of my favorite um, children's Christmas stories uh, growing up was Mercer Mare's Little Critter um, book about about Christmas. And um, you've probably heard me talk about this before in this context, but it's just so good. So I wanted to, to bring it back. And Little Critter 
If you're familiar with the series, Little Critter is this little guy who's trying so hard to be independent, right? He's trying so hard to make things right. And this story is about him trying to make Christmas great. So here he is uh, putting a wreath on the door. Look, Mom and Dad, I put a wreath on the door, right? He's doing decorations by himself. Parents obviously very concerned. Oh, dear little critter. Here we have little critter wanting to help decorate the tree. He carries the box upside down. All the ornaments break. Oh, poor little critter. Here's little critter trying to get the lights out. If any of you have untangled um, Christmas lights, you know that he's probably just making a mess of things, making it even worse. Poor little critter. And then here he is trying to wrap presents And the tape just won't go where it's supposed to, right? This poor little guy. Well, we'll get back to this story in a little bit. But when I look at this, I I look at this little guy and I feel like he's so relatable because he's trying so hard to make things right. And due to the limitations of being this little guy, the limitations of being young, it's just things aren't happening the way that he would like them to happen. Arguably, he's making every situation worse, right? It's like, come on, little critter, just, just quit while you're ahead, man. But I look at that and I, I, I can relate to it. Because when I think about Christmas time or those different celebrations or presents, these types of things, I, I, I want to choose the right present. I want to decorate in the right way. I want the family gatherings to, to go a certain way. I want the season of Christmas in December, to, I want to come out the other end of it and be like, oh, that was really good. And I'm sure many of us can relate to that. But that desire for things to be good, that desire for things to turn out well, that desire for things to be right, is not in any way limited to the month of December and the Christmas season, is it? We want things to be right in our lives in every area, not just at Christmas. We want to look around the world and and have this sense of, man, things are good. Life is good. I'm doing good. I'm happy with the way things are. I feel like things are just going well. We want that, don't we? We desire that in our lives. The trouble is, often times, it, it isn't exactly what we want it to be. <laughs> things aren't right. Things aren't going well. The Christmas gathering didn't go quite as we had anticipated. Coming into the year end, Life maybe isn't exactly the way you thought it would be when 2023 started. And now as you come to the end of the year, it's like, oh man, this wasn't the year I was hoping for. And me maybe feel a lot like little critter sitting on the floor wrapped up in tape. Feeling the depths of the reality that things maybe just aren't exactly how we want them to be. Well, it's this morning on this third Advent Sunday that we turn our attention to the Christmas theme of peace. And when we think about peace, especially in this day and age, it can be a little bit difficult, can't it? Because we look around our world and very quickly we see that things are not as peaceful as we would like it to be. On a global scale, we have wars raging in Europe. We have wars uh, in the Middle East. We're watching the news and we're just overcome with this sense that things are not right. In our own country, we might see things unfolding on a political landscape or different policies coming into place and have the sense that things are not right. In our own lives, we might be struck with that reality. Just this past Thursday, we had a a blue Christmas service here at the church, a space for people to come and grieve as they experience 
loss on a different level as they enter into the, the holidays. Things are not as they should be. Things are not as I expected them to be. Or maybe we think about our own lives and maybe it's been a season of wrestling with depression or anxiety, feeling overwhelmed by all that life is throwing at you. Feeling the weight of expectation alongside the weight of a sense that I just can't get all of this done. And we feel a lot like Little Critter. And in the midst of all of this, we turn our attention to peace. So what is peace? Is it a feeling? It's interesting when I start talking to people about peace, it seems like we define peace by using words to say, well, it's not this, right? Well, peace is not conflict. Peace is not anxiety. Peace is not worry. Peace is not chaos. And it's sad to me that a word like peace is one we often define by talking about what it isn't because it's reflective of the fact that sometimes it's hard for us to achieve that. Because we know what chaos feels like. We know what anxiety feels like. We know what depression feels like. But peace, man, sometimes that feels elusive. Well, I want us to turn our attention to Scripture this morning and the Christmas story. Because Scripture speaks about peace in ways, I think, that really challenge some of that thinking. Of peace maybe just being this, this feeling of an absence of conflict. Or this feeling of things just being okay. Peace is a lot more than that when we look at the biblical story. It is not just the absence of conflict. But when Scripture is talking about peace, it is giving us a vision for things being complete and whole and being restored. The word peace in the Old Testament, uh, it's this word shalom that you probably have heard before. And it's this, the picture around shalom is like a wall that is fully constructed. And the wall, when it's not constructed, when there's pieces laying all around it, is it's not yet built, you'd say, well, it's not at peace yet. But once every brick is where it is meant to be, when every piece is exactly where it was meant to go, you say, ah, peace. It's complete. It is whole. And I love that picture when we think about peace because it's so reflective of our lives, isn't it? Our lives are so complex. There's so many pieces about our lives, whether it's our careers or our families, you know, all these different things. It's like all these pieces. And when all those pieces come together and they're exactly as they're meant to be, that's closer to the picture of biblical peace than simply thinking of it as the absence of conflict. So peace is not just the end of difficulty or conflict, but it is the restoration of wholeness. It's the restoration of wholeness. We get a very beautiful picture of peace and a picture of wholeness at the beginning of Scripture when we look at the Garden of Eden. The picture of peace in Eden is a series of perfect relationships. We have God who has created this world and he, he creates a garden. He puts man and a woman inside that garden. And as we read the story, it's clear that Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God. They had a perfect relationship with one another. They had a perfect relationship with themselves in that they, hadn't, they weren't feeling fear or anxiety or depression or worry or insecurity. And they had a, a perfect relationship with creation. But in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve choose sin, that peace is lost. The complexity of their relationships, all of a sudden it's all scattered. Things are not okay anymore. 
And we see that series of perfect relationships broken as Genesis 3 unfolds and, and God speaks to that reality of all that is now broken and lost. Man's relationship with God, broken. Adam and Eve's relationship with one another, broken. Suddenly they feel shame around one another. Their relationship with themselves, broken. They live with the weight of guilt. No doubt some sort of anxiety, depression, having lost all of that. And the relationship with the earth, broken. So we see peace shattered. But as the biblical story progresses, we, we read about all these promises and this, this anticipation for peace to be restored. I just opened my Bible. It's like 2 Samuel. I'm like, I'm not preaching out of 2 Samuel. Okay. In Leviticus chapter 26, we have this beautiful promise that is given for peace. I'm just going to read a little earlier than what's on the screen. But in God here speaking to his people about the need for them to live in relationship with them. He says, if you follow my decrees, if you're careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season. The ground will yield its crops, the trees their fruit. See that relationship with creation being restored? Harvest will continue until planting. You will eat at all the food you want and you'll live in safety in your land. And then verse 6, I will grant peace in the land. You will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land and the sword will not pass through your country. And a little later in verse 9, I will look on you with favor. I will make you fruitful and increase in number. And I will keep my covenant with you. You will be eating last year's harvest when you have to move it out to make room for the new. And this is so key. Verse 11, I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. God's heart here in Leviticus, he wants to restore peace to his people. He wants to be among them, to restore that relationship with them. So all through the Old Testament, we see this anticipation for peace. But the problem of sin and humanity's pervasiveness in walking away from God, not living in his ways, not being faithful to him, they can't achieve that peace on their own efforts. But they anticipate it, they hope for it, Isaiah 55 is, is one of these passages where give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. The trees and the fields will clap their hands. This is God giving a promise to his people. A promise for peace. And what I love about all of this is that it's just this amazing picture God recognizing that my people cannot achieve this peace on their own. They need God to reach down and do for them what they cannot do for themselves. So this is what I love about the little critter story. See, here's the last page of the little critter book. Little critter is triumphing in Christmas joy. But every page before that, we read about him messing it up. <laughs> He messed up the presents. He messed up the decorations. He messed all this stuff up. There's no peace. There's no completeness. But then his parents step in and do for him what he couldn't do for himself. And here he is triumphing in joy. I think Mercer Mare's Little Critter Christmas book speaks to the truth of Christmas maybe a lot more than he even intended. But here's the reality, this ache for peace, this ache for completeness, this ache 
to see depression and anxiety and all these things cease. It's deep within us, isn't it? God made it us for it. But there's this reality that we are a people who are walking in darkness, as was, was read for us this morning. And again, we look around our world, we see that darkness. We see the pain, we see the heartache, we experience it in our own lives. But Isaiah chapter 9, recognizing the people in darkness, it goes on. It says that these people have seen a great light. On those living in deep darkness, on those living in the space without peace, those living in the midst of conflict and, and pain and sorrow, a light has dawned. Well, what is that light? How is this peace going to come to pass? Well, as was read, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Friends, Jesus brings peace. Jesus comes and he brings peace. The angels sang this chorus in Luke chapter 2. The great company of heavenly hosts appear. The angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. Now the difficulty about this passage is when we look around our world and see the lack of peace. We think about this declaration and we're like, Jesus, this I don't feel like this is totally adding up. There's still war. There's still pain. Even in my own life, this internal struggle just seems to rage on. But apparently when Jesus came, he was the arrival of the Prince of Peace. Where is it? Friends, Jesus brings peace, but I think it's different than what we expect. From this Isaiah passage, about 700 years past, to the coming of Christ. And I wonder how the declaration of the angels landed on the ears of these shepherds. Because here we have shepherds who are probably going, peace on earth. They're living there under Roman rule. And what was interesting about the Roman rule um, within history, we understand that the Romans sought to establish Roman peace, Pax Romania. This idea of having Roman peace throughout the world. But if you were an Israelite, Roman peace did not feel like peace. The Romans came as oppressors. The Romans came and they taxed the Israelites to a point where they were living hand to mouth, most of them. Taking from them what wasn't theirs. Declaring that to be peace. So Israel, they thought when their Messiah, when this Prince of Peace was going to come, that, man, the Romans were going to get it. The tables were going to be turned. Peace was going to be restored to the nation of Israel. But here's the thing. That type of peace is a peace through conquest. And I think of the early church who would maybe meditate on Jesus as their Prince of Peace, who watched the temple be destroyed in 70 AD, still living under Roman oppression. But friends, Jesus' arrival was the arrival of a deeper peace. God's answer to oppression and hostility of this proud and cruel world is not to come as a warrior to smash oppression. He does not bring peace by being an oppressor. 
In John chapter 14, Jesus says to them, my peace I give you, but it is not the peace of this world. It's a different type of peace. Because here's the thing, Jesus could have put an end to the conflict, but it wouldn't have been enough. Because the peace that is required for a restoration of the Eden-like type of existence requires restoration of all that is broken. Jesus brings a peace that isn't just going to change the circumstance around people, but he brings a type of peace that goes into the depths of who we are as people so that we become the type of people that work and labor towards peace. Because if all Jesus did was change our circumstances, all that is going to happen is that we're going to keep fighting for that peace, which is going to lead to a lack of peace for others. Then we get back into the war and the struggles keep happening. So while Jesus could have ended the conflict, he didn't. But he wants to do a work in our hearts and bring a peace to our hearts so that people are not inclined to wage war in order to experience that which we feel is, be, is lacking in our lives. External conflicts and circumstantial difficulty is only one part of the problem. There is a deeper problem. And it is to the deepest places in the human heart that Jesus reaches out and offers us peace. This is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. Again, what's the brokenness? Our brokenness is between us and God, a shattering of a perfect relationship. Our brokenness between us and ourselves. A brokenness in our relationships. Brokenness with creation. Well, Jesus came and offered a peace that could be established between us and God. Romans chapter 5 says it this way, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace by which we stand. And we boast in the hope and the glory of God. That broken relationship with God can be restored in the person of Jesus Christ. He comes and he works peace between us and God. That we could be restored to him. That we can experience the life that we were made for in relationship with him. That we can engage in our lives with him in our day-to-day reality. This is Christmas. The Emmanuel, God with us. God coming to dwell with us. It's impossible for God to dwell with us when we are not at peace with him. Do you understand that? Romans chapter 8 speaks to when we live by the flesh, when we live by a sinful nature, it says we are hostile towards God. But when we live by the Spirit, when we walk according to His his witness, His presence with us, we have peace with God. In Romans 8, Paul contrasting hostility and peace. But we need that peace with God to be restored. And that's what Jesus came to do. That is why the angels could, could declare peace on earth. Peace has come in a person, Jesus Christ, who's going to do for us that we cannot do for ourselves like little critter. He's going to come and work in such a way, live a type of life, demonstrate to us the type of life we are meant to live. He's going to sacrifice himself and pay the penalty for sin on our behalf. Why? So that we can be reconciled with God, so that we can have peace with God. Friends, the peace on earth that came that first Christmas day is one that brings peace to the deepest parts of our person while anticipating the restoration of all things to a state of wholeness. So peace within so that there can be peace without. 
So while we might look at our circumstances and be overwhelmed with a lack of peace that we see around us, Jesus is inviting us to experience a peace with God. A peace on the deepest level. That that peace may flow through us into those situations and circumstances. Does it change them? Not necessarily. Not always. But that peace of God is what we need most. And as we have peace with God, we're able to extend peace to one another. Our relationships begin to be restored. Because the security we have in our peace with God allows us to be people of forgiveness. People who don't harbor bitterness. People who do not easily take offense from others. That we bring peace into relationships. Peace with God changes our relationship with ourselves. That we no longer see ourselves from a worldly lens, but we see ourselves the way God sees us. That we aren't living insecure. We aren't looking in the mirror, hating who we see staring back at us. But the healing touch of God, the peace that he's working in us, changes even the way we see ourselves. And he restores even that relationship. And as he restores us and makes us whole, we can anticipate the coming of peace. Revelation chapter 23, we read, so this is a picture of the end of time. I hear a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Does that remind you of a passage we already read this morning? Leviticus 26 being echoed in Revelation chapter 21. A picture of total restoration and peace. So how do we walk in the way of peace? How do we move forward in accepting and receiving this peace from Jesus to become people who are peaceful in order to participate in seeing peace come to the earth? Well, it starts in so many ways, like so many things. We we need to experience peace by coming to our Prince of Peace. We need to experience peace by coming to our Prince of Peace. In Luke chapter 1, at the very end of the chapter, in verse 79, we have Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist. And after John is born and named, Zechariah has this moment where he's just, uh, the Spirit of God comes upon him and he begins prophesying. And near the end of the prophecy, he begins by talking about John and then he starts talking about Jesus. And he says that Jesus is coming, he's going to shine on those living in darkness. There's an Isaiah 9 reference. And in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And for the sake of our sermon title and series, let's call it to guide our feet into the way of peace. Friends, us experiencing peace and living that out can only come as we come to the Prince of Peace. We come to Jesus and we seek his peace. We spend time with him. We sit at the feet of Jesus. We open the word of God. We allow his word to saturate our minds. We allow our spirit to connect with his spirit. We allow the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts. We receive his peace. I think we can live under other ways, not ways of peace. We can live and walk other ways, not the ways of Jesus. And then we wonder, why are we not experiencing the peace of Jesus? 
We can saturate our minds in so many things except the Word of God. We can give our lives and our time to so many different efforts and then wonder why we have no peace. And all the while, we're ignoring the invitation of the Prince of Peace who's inviting us to come and receive for him, from him the peace that we ache for. Isaiah chapter 26, we read, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. What a beautiful promise. But this requires something of us, right? This isn't just a promise that, well, if you're a Christian, you have peace in your mind. You feel good about everything. That's not what it says. It says that God will keep us in peace as our minds are steadfastly fixed upon him. Why? Because we trust him. Trust is an action word. Right? What we trust is reflective in how we live our lives. So the Prince of Peace wants to give us peace. And we can receive and experience it as we fix our minds on him. And live our lives in a way that demonstrates that we trust him. John Oswald has this quote, Have we allowed the child king to take over the government of our lives? Because only then will we know the benefits of God with us. We cannot have the light the honor, the joy, the abundance, the integration that he offers in any other way. So Jesus comes. He does for us what we could never do for ourselves. And he invites us to follow him. So we need to come to him to experience that peace. It's verses like Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, which tells us not to be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer, with thanksgiving and supplication, make your requests known for God, known to God, and the peace of Christ will guard your hearts. Again, it doesn't just say that peace is downloaded into our lives. It says, no, through the disciplines of prayer, the disciplines of thanksgiving and supplication, bringing our requests to God. It's through those that peace can come to our hearts. But we've got to come to Him. And so we walk the way of peace as we surrender to Jesus. We give Him our whole lives. We choose to trust in Him. We walk the way of His Spirit. We allow His Spirit to do a work in our lives where where peace is just flowing out of us. But this requires us to slow down, to consider our priorities. It requires us to take time to be with Jesus so that we might become more like him. So how do we walk the way of peace? We experience peace by coming to our Prince of Peace. We also, I believe, walk the way of peace as we advocate for peace as peace wagers. Um, one of the books I read in preparation for this talked about this idea of peace waging, right? Where war waging is so prevalent in our world, the way of Jesus is one of peace waging. Friends, peace and wholeness, harmony and unity are fighting a serious war against sin, hatred, and chaos. And I don't have to tell you that. We see it every day. Every day we listen to the news, it's evident. 
that while we would love to see wholeness, harmony, and unity alive and well in our streets, it seems like sin, hatred, and chaos are having their way more than anyone would like. And there's this reality that hurt people hurt people. Maybe you've heard that, um, this, this whole phrase, that when people are, just seem to be very hurtful towards others, it's probably evidence of hurt in their lives. As peace wagers, we need to consider that blessed people bless people. That as we receive the, the blessing of peace from God, we can be those who extend that blessing and that peace to others. It means that we are people of forgiveness, who when we are wronged, we are quick to forgive. We are people who keep short accounts. We are people who resist bitterness. Now this task of peace waging is not an easy one. It's interesting in John chapter 14, Jesus says to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. But I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now if Jesus is telling them not to be afraid, what does that imply? That there are things that you will probably be fearful of. There will be reflections of a lack of peace all around you. But what does Jesus say to his disciples? My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. So as we go as peace wagers, we can only do that when we experience and know the peace of Jesus. Because there's this reality that your circumstances are not going to be as you like. But we have peace in Jesus Christ. He has that available to us. So as we approach difficulty, we do so with peace in our hearts. The peace that is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And we can step into chaos as a non-anxious presence with the hope and love of Jesus. So friends, Jesus has given us peace. Will you receive it? Do you know his peace? Do you feel his peace? I appreciate the Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. I find it is full of these beautiful, uh, full of beautiful theology. But a couple of the verses talk about this, you know, quaint little town, right? This kind of back road town in Israel. And the gift of God being given to this place. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in the world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in and be born in us today. I love that prayer. And that is a prayer for peace in so many ways. That as that little town of Bethlehem received the coming Messiah, so we too need to have hearts postured and open to receive Jesus and to allow his peace to come to our hearts. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And we're going to sing this carol together. I just invite you now to maybe close your eyes and just take a prayerful posture. Father God, we love you. We thank you so much for sending your son, for coming and being God with us, Emmanuel. 
And Jesus, we feel the weight of a world that seems to be lacking peace. And Lord, so often we get caught up in the busyness of it all, the demands of it all. And we find ourselves running around and feeling the anxiety and the the weight of life and Lord, not feeling peace. But Jesus, our prayer, even now in this moment, is just that we would experience your peace. Lord Jesus, allow your peace to descend on us. And Lord, help us to make room for that in our lives. So we just do that now, Lord Jesus. Just let's sit in this moment and just maybe just utter utter these words out or just in the quiet of your own heart, just say, Lord Jesus, I receive your peace. Jesus, we receive your peace. Lord, may we be peacemakers in this world. The peace that you have brought into our lives, may we extend to others, we pray. Amen.